trust that we do believe. Amen. Well, we're going to continue. <clears throat> well, sorry. We're going to continue with a, um, a lesson or a message that we began last week on thankfulness, and today we're going to finish it up as we move away from uh, Thanksgiving. Obviously, we had the opportunity to, uh, I trust, enjoy family, friends, and others, and uh, it was, um, uh, you know, turkey maybe or something else. I don't know what you had for Thanksgiving. I think it was ham at uh, my mom's and turkey and some things like that and all kind of other goodies, and uh, that was good, and uh, I think I ate for three days straight, it seemed like, and then I ended up over at a wedding, and I ended up eating over there, and I don't know. It just never ended. I don't know. It, it you know, that it was, it, I don't know. And then I ended up having to go somewhere else. I ate again, and uh, it just, uh, everywhere I went, I was eating. And so uh, I did finally make it into this suit uh, after about four or five hours of straight exercise, but I made it. I got in it, and here we are tonight. And uh, anyway, I'm glad you're here as well. Well, Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, we're going to go ahead and begin reading verse 1. We're going to read uh, the first five verses. First five verses, and then we'll kind of continue on from there. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such, turn away." Again, we focus our attention primarily in this particular message in verse 2. The Bible says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Here it is now. Unthankful. Unthankful. We learn from the passage that in the last days, men and women, boys and girls, will be filled with ingratitude. It's going to be a sign of the times. It's going to be something that is very prevalent and very obvious. Unfortunately, even believers will be tempted and even pressured by this prevailing culture in which we live to embrace the spirit of ingratitude. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, the Bible says, In everything give thanks, <clears throat> for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Again, we learned last week that being thankful is not optional. It's not optional. We don't have the opportunity to choose whether or not we're going to be thankful. We're required, we're commanded to be thankful. Therefore, unthankfulness is nothing less than sin, according to the Bible. We learned that although we may not be comfortable, we must be thankful. That doesn't mean that we necessarily have to be thankful, I guess, for everything, but we certainly have to be thankful in everything. Listen, let's face it, there are things that come into our lives that, boy, they're rough. I don't jump up and down and say, yes! I'm thinking, oh no. But I still have to be thankful in them. 
And in the midst of it, obviously, in the end, we'll look back and one day we'll be able to be thankful for them. But in the meantime, we need to learn to be thankful in them. Trusting that God will bring about good in the midst of every situation and circumstance. Everything that God permits in our lives is something that he intends to use for our good. That's not always easy to understand, nor is it easy to accept, but it is a reality. The bottom line is that he's purging us, he's tempering us, even stretching us, if you will, in order to prepare us for future usefulness. And so his purpose may vary in every single life, but one constant is that he is always seeking to increase our faith and our dependence upon him. So we find that God would have us be thankful. Even in the midst of the greatest trials, every time we run into the wall, so to speak, every time we find ourselves against a giant in our life, we're still to be thankful in the midst of it. Whether it's a hardship, a struggle, whether it's a temptation of any sort, the reality is we're to be thankful in it. We noted that being thankful in everything is the will of God. Therefore, if we're not thankful, we are out of the will of God. And that's a tough one, too. (laughs) You know how it is. You know, we think because we go to church, because maybe we read our Bible that morning, because we even got on a bus or possibly taught in a Sunday school class, that we obviously are in the will of God. But you can be ungrateful, and you are no longer in the will of God. And someone says, well, yeah, but there's degrees of being in the will of God. I don't know. You're either in or out, it seems to me. And all I'm saying is is that we all war with this. Let's be honest. We all struggle in this area. And yet the reality is, is that if we are not thankful, then we are rebellious and disobedient to God's word. And if we're not obedient to God's word, then we certainly can't be in the will of God. Now... This evening, I, I want to consider how thankfulness manifests itself, or maybe more simply, how thankfulness or what thankfulness looks like. <clears throat> if I said, how does hatred manifest itself or show itself in our lives? Well, you might say, well, let's see, hatred would manifest itself in anger, or, or maybe rage, or impatience, or have, possibly having a very short fuse uh, it, it might show itself through maybe being mean or, uh, or saying malicious words. It could be through harmful acts of violence or maybe just a host of other outbursts. I mean, it could show itself in a number of ways, and, and you'd be right about that. You know, we have a classic example of hatred being manifest in the Bible in the story of Saul, you know, the famed king of Israel, and his hatred for David, the servant of God, and his servant, mind you. David had done nothing to personally harm King Saul. He'd done nothing to hurt him. And yet, Saul's great jealousy for David caused him to literally seek to destroy David. I mean to kill him. David had killed Goliath. He had led the people of God to these great victories. He had been showered with the praise of the people, none of which he sought himself, mind you. He never once went glory-seeking. He never once sought to find, this, uh, find it on his own. But yet God seemed to bless him supernaturally. And on one occasion even, Saul the king even sought his life. I believe it might have even been two in reality. And he threw a javelin at him, seeking to literally kill David. The sad reality is that Saul placed his personal goal 
of ultimately destroying David above the safety of an entire nation. As he took the entire armies of Israel, sought after David, and left the borders open to the enemy. The feelings of that hatred, that that hatred that King Saul possessed, not only affected him and his closest family and friends, but it ultimately manifested itself before an entire kingdom. He couldn't hide it. Everyone was affected by Saul's hatred of David. And let me tell you, everyone will be affected by yours and my attitude of thankfulness. When a person possesses a thankful spirit, it's going to be evidenced by their attitude and actions. That's just as simple as it is. It's always evidenced that way. The world around them will be either benefited or suffer for lack of it. In other words, thankfulness says this, and this is really good. Listen, it says this. I purpose in my heart and my mind to not allow the things that are going extremely well or extremely bad to block my view of God, miss what He's doing in my life, or to hinder me from giving Him thanks for it. I purpose in my heart and mind not to allow the things that are going extremely well or extremely bad to block my view of God, miss what He's doing in my life, or to hinder me from giving Him thanks for it. I like that. I'm hoping that I wrote that. It's just in my notes. I don't remember if I got it from someone else because I found it in another message that I preached. But before we consider how thankfulness shows itself in our lives, let's note how thankfulness looks, okay? First of all, the children of Israel have exited Egypt, right? They've made their way or their journey toward the the, the Red Sea. Now, here's the truth, and this is what sometimes people fail to understand, or they miss, maybe in their reading, is that God had instructed Moses to lead the people right there on purpose. He had already told Moses what was going to take place even. Matter of fact, in Exodus 14, verse 3 and 4, it says, For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. What we're seeing is is that God had already predetermined that Israel would end up at the Red Sea. He had already told Moses that there was a purpose even for them going there and ultimately being trapped between a rock and a hard place. God was going to use that situation. He was going to use it to be honored before all, especially the Egyptians themselves. He wanted them to know that there was a God in Israel. And although God had delivered the people out of bondage and from the harsh hand of Pharaoh, of course the people could only see themselves and their, their problem. There they found themselves there. After being delivered, miraculously delivered out of Egypt, mind you. They find themselves now at this Red Sea and the armies of, Israel, or armies of Egypt behind them and they, they, they really get kind of out of sorts in Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. Why don't you take your Bible look over there. We're going to do a little quick Bible study. 
I want you to see now how unthankfulness or ingratitude affects people. How it affects you, how it affects me, how it affects everyone. In Exodus 14, verse 10, the Bible says, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, remember, he'd already told Moses it's going to happen, but when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us? To carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? According to the passage, the people complained about their situation. He said, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Not only did they complain about their situation, but they criticized their leader. Wherefore hast thou dealt with us? To carry us forth out of Egypt? Then he turns around, they convince themselves that they were right. He goes on, they go on to say, Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt? We told you, Moses. We warned you that this would happen. Not only did they complain about their situation, criticize their leader, convince themselves that they were right, But they conceded defeat even. Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. They said, forget it. We've lost. It's over. Just throw in the towel. We'll serve them. That's all. We'll just serve them. Again, these people had quickly lost sight of the miraculous deliverance, the supernatural provision, and the divine guidance that God had provided them. They're no longer thankful, and it showed. But hold on, it doesn't end there. Again, God delivered them through the Red Sea. He completely destroys the pursuing enemy. He provides them with a great victory, doesn't he? Now they fear the Lord. Now they believe that God is going to deliver them, that God is truly going to do a mighty work in their lives and in their nation, and that their leader Moses is certainly God's man. Well, they did for a short time. But it wasn't long following that great victory that they journeyed and found no water. Turn, if you would, to Exodus 15, 24. I want you to notice the people's response when they couldn't find water now. Exodus 15, 24. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now again, they didn't just say, What are we going to drink, Moses? They murmured against him. Sounds like we're complaining again. Here we go again. I mean, after all that God's done, and may we never forget, mind you, that God was not only providing for them, not only was he delivering them, but he's traveling with them. I mean, they have his very presence with them. But, you know, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, that was literally the presence of God. He was with them, and yet the people murmured, they complained, they criticized. So what's the Lord do? He ends up providing them water. 
You know, Moses strikes the rock, the water pours forth, the people are satisfied. It had only been two months now since they began their journey. Two months. By now they'd been miraculously delivered from Egypt, providentially protected from Pharaoh, supernaturally guided by God, and provided for in the wilderness. Still, check out chapter 16, verse 2 and 3. Still we find them murmuring again. Exodus 16, verse 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth. By the way, were they full? Oh, come on. I mean, isn't that ridiculous? Really? And when we did eat bread to the full? Really? And when did they eat bread to the full? He goes on, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. God, of course, would go on to provide them with manna. And then he would give them even meat. They're satisfied, but, hold on, it's still not enough. Again, we see them murmuring and complaining just one chapter later when once again thirsting for water. Look at Exodus 17 now. I mean, by now, you and I both are probably going, what in the world is wrong with these people? Are you kidding me? After experiencing what God has done for them? Hold on, don't ever forget how you and I act. Be careful. Exodus 17, verse 3 and 4, And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt, to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. Let me give you the moral of the story. It didn't matter how much God did for the people or how often he intervened. It was never enough. It's just never enough. And that's the principal characteristic of ingratitude. The principal characteristic of ingratitude is simply nothing is ever enough. A person is never satisfied. That is the outstanding, characteristic quality of an ungrateful person. It's never enough. It doesn't matter if you get a present for Christmas, it's not good enough. It doesn't matter if someone says thank you, it wasn't wasn't as heartfelt as it should have been. Appreciate that car that someone gave me, but then again, I wish it was. And boy, I'm grateful for the house I live in, but it's. And boy, I love my wife, but. And my husband's really, but. And my children, they really, but. It's characteristic of ingratitude. It's never enough. It's never enough. 
person is never satisfied. So, <clears throat> what does gratitude look like then? We see what ingratitude looks like. Let's talk a little bit tonight about what gratitude looks like. Father, we come to you. Lord, we need you tonight. We thank you for all you've done already. Lord, that uh, simple little Bible study we did. Boy, it opens my eyes to my own failures. Father, uh, may each of us, Lord, be encouraged tonight to be very careful not to allow ourselves to be ungrateful or unthankful. Sometimes, Lord, it's very subtle. We really are grateful, but there's a part of us that's ungrateful. That begins to seep through, come through. Help us tonight, Lord, to learn what gratitude looks like and strive to exhibit gratitude. Not to make it up, but to truly be grateful and to allow it to be manifest in our lives. Both before our families and friends, but also, Lord, the world itself. More importantly, Lord, before you. Help us tonight, Lord, we pray, to be a grateful people. In Christ's name we pray, amen. First of all, how does thankfulness, how does gratitude manifest itself? How is it seen or how does it look? Well, thankfulness and gratitude are seen in our countenance. Seen in our countenance. You know, I love being around thankful people, don't you? I do. I I love being around thankful people. They possess an air of joy. Uh, Their faces reflect their feeling of gratitude. Often you'll find a smile on their face. A thankful person just seems to be lighthearted and has a smile on their face. I realize that sorrow will bring tears and pain will produce some grimace on a face, but those are the exceptions to the rule. That's not the norm. You find a thankful person, you're going to find somebody that's most often wearing a smile. And I'm going to be honest with you, if there was one thing that would transform a church, one thing that would transform uh, uh, our testimonies, it would be a smile. I mean that. We we underestimate the power of a smile. I I, I go places all the time, and if somebody smiles at me, say at the doctor's office, or I I mean, I can go down here to the to the uh, um, where you get your license, a license bureau. And if the young lady smiles or one of the people that's working back there smiling and lighthearted, all of a sudden I don't even mind paying. You've got to do it anyway, so at least they make it a little enjoyable. But they're smiling and you kind of get kind of, oh, well that was nice, they're so kind there. They just took your money. But because they smiled, it was palatable, it was acceptable, we could deal with it. But boy, let one of them, yes, that's, that's $69.95. And we're like, wow. Here's a... You know what I mean? A smile makes a big difference, folks. Huge difference. And you know, in a believer's life, we ought to be very grateful, we ought to be thankful. There's so many things we ought to be grateful for and thankful for. Let's name a couple tonight. Out of the audience... What are some things we ought to be thankful for? Hands, please don't yell things out. This is a classroom right now. Yeah, Stephanie? Your family, maybe. Yes? A steady job. A steady job. You've got a steady job. That's something to be very grateful for. 
but I don't get paid enough. Well, just be glad you got a steady job, right? That's a good point. Over here, brother. Salvation. Yeah, there's a good one too. Right over here, the little lady. Food? I like that one. <laughs> Smart girl right there. Okay, right here. Amen. A place to serve in ministry. Back here. God's grace. Absolutely. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes. Who? Good health. Absolutely. How about back here? I thought I saw a hand. Okay, amen. The ability to go right to God in prayer. Amen. Um, I mean, there's a number of hands. Yeah, over here. I didn't. I didn't, wasn't talking to you. Oh, you said something about having a good church. Well, go ahead and say it anyway. <laughs> Just kidding, David. Sorry, David. I'm sorry. I, I had to be mean because he's struggling with his voice. So I thought I'd make him say it twice. <laughs> he's feeling a little better. You keep praying for him, though. His voice is shot. That's not good. How many of you got problems with your voices tonight? Complaining all the time, aren't you? (laughs) Yeah, over here. Our freedom, absolutely. Yeah, right here. A baby sister. Wait till she gets a little older. No, those are all wonderful things, aren't they? They are wonderful. And those are all things we ought to be grateful for. And you know, sometimes though, if we're not careful, we forget about those things and we think about those other things. Things that we're not so happy about. Hey, hold on a second. Remember, God is in control and God is on the throne. And things are going to work together for good to them that love God who are called according to his purpose. And so we need, as children of God, to put a smile on our face. It doesn't do any good to walk in God's house with a frown. It doesn't do any good to go out in the world with a frown. It doesn't do good, even good to wake up in the morning with one. Look at your spouse. That's not going to get anything done. That's not going to help anything. We need to learn to smile. You say, but I'm not a morning person. Then paint it on. But either way, gratitude, gratitude will manifest itself in our countenance. It'll be seen in our face. It'll be seen on our faces. You know, it's funny. We think we're fooling people. You know, we go about life sometimes and we, you know, we go through life and we, we think somehow that people are being fooled. We were covering it up. And we're like, I don't understand why everybody acts like I'm so miserable. Maybe because you look miserable. You ever have somebody come to you and say, what's wrong? And you're like, nothing. Nothing's wrong. Why? Well, I just, you just felt like maybe you weren't feeling good. And you know, you know, you ever been there with people? And you just know, you can see it. You can see it on their face. Maybe there was a death in the family. Maybe there was a, some hurt or heartache in their life. Maybe they just got some bad news. Or maybe they're just downright miserable out of the will of God. But you can see it. It manifests itself on their face. And they think somehow that someone, well, who told you what's, what, what, somebody must have said something to them. Nobody had to say a thing. We just looked at you. All we had to do is look at you. You say, that's ridiculous. No, it isn't. Listen, you, you find somebody that's got a smile on their face, they'll recognize people that don't. You know what? You, you know what? If you're not careful, you know what you try to do? If you're not careful, and I, I try not to do this, but you almost want to avoid people like that. There's just something about being around people that are always like, and you're just like, whoa, boy. Now listen, you can say whatever you want, but that, I'm just being honest tonight. 
With me, it's hard, man. I tell you what, I get somebody that's always frowning down in the dumps. I'm almost like, oh, boy. You know? I mean, I, I, mean I'm, I, I can't do that. I'm the pastor. I have to try to pretend to be nice. <clears throat> you know, you can get away with it every once in a while, and then people just complain about you, but it don't matter because you're not the pastor. But let me tell you something, and I mean, in all, all seriousness, uh, that, that's not how God wants us to look as believers. Man, we're supposed to be grateful. We're supposed to have an attitude of gratitude, and it, ought, it will show on our faces. I don't care. It will. That's all there is to it. Like I say, probably one of the best classes we could ever have would be how to smile class. You know, and, and we, we kind of smile, we jest about it, but folks, can I tell you the honest truth? When people walk into this place from that world, the last thing they need to see is more of what they had out there. Man, they need to see a people that are grateful, thankful, and happy in the Lord. Joyful people. People that have... Burdens, yes. People that have cares, of course. People that feel the weight of of responsibility, without doubt. But hold on. People who do not put so much emphasis on those things, but instead remember always the wonderful blessings of God in their life. And because of that, they can smile. So number one, thankfulness and gratitude are seen in our countenance. Number two, Thankfulness and gratitude are seen in our conversation. Now you say seen in conversation. Yes, you've got to understand in the Bible the word conversation is used. Not only does it have to do with maybe your speech, but it even has to do with your actions. As we noted already in our previous little study, we noticed that most often criticism is on the lips of the ungrateful and the unthankful. Thankfulness reveals itself in encouraging words. It manifests itself in kind and considerate words. Again, the children of Israel, the Bible tells us that they complained about their situation. They criticized their leaders. How often have we been guilty of complaining and criticizing? Now listen, I know everybody has a right and has a reason for criticizing. I know that. Listen, you don't understand uh, sometimes, I, I don't know if there's a person in the room that's probably any more critical than I can be. I can rip everything to pieces. I dissect every little detail. And I start to find fault in everything. Now, you're not like that, but I am. Or are you? Listen, this flesh right here, can find every reason in the world why everybody else is wrong. I can find out why every other thing is wrong. I can see why everything in the world is just not worth it's just a mess. Who cares? Throw in the towel. On my office, in my office, there's a sign that says, Do not be cynical, critical, or complaining. Do not be cynical, critical, or complaining. You know what the solution is to all those three things? Fix it. Fix it. What good does it do to complain about things you have no control over anyway? So if you can't fix it, why even worry about it? But if you have the ability to fix something, why are you complaining about it? Instead, do something to fix it. 
Now that's what, most of the time, let's just be quite frank, we at times really could care less if it got fixed. We enjoy complaining about it. You say, no, I don't. Obviously you do. You spend enough time talking about it. We get so critical, we get so cynical, we get complaining about everything, and we almost like it. The flesh does, at least. Christ doesn't. And even at times, we get burdened by that. You get overwhelmed with guilt, even. Because the Holy Spirit's convicting us. The inner man says, that's not right. But there's a part that that flesh likes it. You know, this message is about true confessions for me. You know what I mean? I war with it. I war with it. I don't know if you do, but I know that it's important that I don't allow myself to be consumed with those spirits of cynicism or critical spirit or even a complaining spirit. Again, according to Christ, there's a direct correlation between the heart and the tongue. And our tongue only reveals the attitude of our heart, according to Matthew 12, 34. The Bible says, O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. See, when the children of Israel were complaining in the wilderness, they were speaking from their... What were they speaking from? Their heart. You say, no, it was a bad situation. No, they were speaking from their heart. See, ladies, when you complain about your husband all the time, it's a heart problem. No, it isn't. He doesn't, he, he never, he only, I'm telling you, he may be a bum. He may be good for nothing. But see, your complaining, your criticism, and your, your attitude of cynicism is not scriptural either. See, there's, there might be something you could do about it, but sometimes it's just easier to complain about. And even if you can't do anything to fix him, the fact is, is that you're still not right with God because you're being so unthankful and ungrateful for what you do have. You know, you ought to be grateful, maybe, just maybe, that he's not out drinking and coming home drunk. Oh, I know there's a lot of things he's not doing, but maybe that's one good thing you ought to be grateful he's not doing, if he's not doing that. See, there may be a lady beside you whose husband is into pornography and says, we're going to watch this. And she says, I won't do it. And you get in a big fight, and before you know it, you're in a mess. But you think you're having problems because your husband doesn't say I love you for the 20th time today. Now again, I'm just saying, I'm telling you, you need to learn to be grateful, thankful. By the way, guys, you're the same thing. You're pitiful sometimes, and so am I. You know, we act like we're being so deprived certain times in our lives. Like our wives are so cold, and they have no care and concern about us. Hold on a second. You could have a wife like Hosea had, out running the streets and sleeping with every man that she could. You ought to be grateful your wife's faithful to you. Instead of worrying about what you're not getting all the time, you ought to be concerned about what you do have. All I'm saying is, is there's a lot of different ways to look at life. And unfortunately today, unfortunately, we can be very cynical, critical, and complaining. Our speech displays the hidden secrets of the heart. We ought to be a grateful people. 
You say, how can you speak about this? Because I'm an expert on it. I've been there, done that, and I still war with it all the time. Our families, our friends, our children, our husbands and wives, they ought to find our conversation encouraging and uplifting. Number three, and it kind of goes along with what we just talked about, thankfulness and gratitude are seen in our perspective. Again, there's a lot of ways to look at life. In Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 25, we'll not read them because of time, but you remember the situation probably, and if you don't, let me remind you, Paul and Silas have been jailed for casting a spirit out of a young girl. Again, here's the man of God. You've got to understand, I mean, Paul, the apostle, is the man of God. He is the man. I mean, as Brother Fred would say, he's the man with a plan. He's got it all together. He knows exactly what God wants him to do. He's faithful. He's committed. He's devoted. He is a soul winner. He's starting churches. He's winning people to Christ. He's doing all kinds of things. Man, I'm telling you what, he is unbelievable. He's reproducing himself and others. He'd been faithful, been consistently serving the master, only to find himself in a Philippian jail. What a reward for being obedient, right? That's such a blessing. I've been doing everything you told me to do. I've been doing it every, everything the way you're telling me to do it. And yet I end up in a Philippian jail. <clears throat> you know that he and Silas were falsely accused. They were stripped naked. They were beaten, thrown in prison. I guess we could say probably very loosely that he was having a pretty bad day. Yeah, it's Put it in a pretty simple, I guess. He's having a pretty bad day. Still, Paul and Silas could be heard what? Singing, praising their master. That's something. Think about that. How could they do that? They obviously had a different perspective than most, didn't they? They really had to. Again, we said earlier that thankfulness is more than a feeling, basically. You know what thankfulness is? It's like love. It's like anything else. It's a decision. Everybody makes choices in life. We're always trying to pass things off. We're always trying to try to make it look like God has to do something specific for us. He's going to have to change my attitude. He's going to change my heart. No, you have to choose to obey God and do what he says. You know, we're always trying to put the weight on God. We're always trying to put the responsibility on God to do something before we act. But God's already given us everything we need to do right. The real responsibility lies in your court and in mine. Someone says, well, when God gives me the grace to forgive, I'll forgive. No, God's already given you the grace to forgive. It's up to you to decide to forgive. See, they had a different perspective. Paul and his companion could have easily said this. They could have said, you know, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I've been serving him faithfully for years. I have sacrificed the best years and my health and every good thing that I have. I've given it all to him. And this is how he repays me. Could have said that. But instead they said, I purpose in my heart and mind not to allow the things that are going extremely well or extremely bad to block my view of God, miss what He's doing in my life, or to hinder me from giving Him thanks for it. 
That's what they did. See, they chose to sing songs of praise and to give thanks to God in the midst of an extremely bad day. They chose to do that. They could have easily sat down with the rest of the prisoners and simply said, Woe is me. God isn't good. What's going on in my life? They could have done that. And you know what? We would have all understood that. We'd have said, I understand why they're so discouraged. I realize why they're so depressed. It makes perfect sense to me. But let me tell you something. It don't make sense to God who's empowered us and provided for us the Spirit of God and says to us, you're to be thankful in everything. You say, but I can't because he doesn't, you don't understand what I'm going through. But God did and He does. And He knew long before you were ever born. And he still put it in those scriptures. So let me tell you this. God will never give you what you can't deal with. He'll always give you the grace. So it's never a matter of, I can't deal with this. No, it's that you won't deal with it. We keep wanting God to take responsibility for things he's already empowered us to do. A man says, well, I can't provide for my family. That's a lie. You can. You may not be able to provide for them the way they think you should. But you can provide for them the way God says you can. And sometimes there's ladies and there's guys or there's, there's, there's children that aren't grateful enough for what they do have and they want more than what they should want and a guy doesn't have a chance. And he says, I just can't do it. Ladies, get off his back. Let him do what God tells him. And listen, don't you be lazy. You work two jobs if you have to. But you get the job done. God will give you the grace. I'm tired. I'm so tired of hearing everybody talk about how they can't and can't and can't. I can't forgive. I can't get this done. I can't do that. I can't do this. Yes, you can. Oh, what happened to I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me? We threw that one out a long time ago in America because the situation, the circumstance are just a little too big now. It just weighs a little too heavy on our shoulders. We just can't get it done. I don't mean to embarrass, but I got some Christian brothers right up front here. They've left their home, they've come to America, they've done it legally, they've done it right, and they're saving money, and they're going to help their families have a better life. Listen, and we'll sit and complain about the country we live in, complain about everything that's going on in our lives, to, to act like we don't have enough. Are you kidding me? We have the freedom to go out in the world and preach this truth and not worry about getting thrown in jail for it. We got the opportunity to go to a job, make some money and have a nice car to drive in, to live in a nice home, to have heat in our home and not have to sit and live on dirt floors. We got a toilet that actually flushes and isn't just a hole in the ground. And we act somehow like we are the most miserable people in the world. What's wrong with us? Perspective. Go to the Philippines and walk along the train tracks someday. See how people live in those cardboard houses. Go there to Haiti these days, down there in Port-au-Prince, and look to see, watch how people live there. When there's feces and there's all kind of ex, you know, all kind of human waste just laying right outside their doors. And we, we have the audacity as Christians to look at God and say, Why? I understand there are tough times in life. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. You say, wait till you have to deal with what I'm dealing with. You know what? I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure there are things. I have not been through what some of you have been through. I understand that. So don't tell me Jesus hasn't, though. You know, all of a sudden, you, you're, you're, you're more of a martyr than Christ. 
Is that really what we're saying? We're suffering more than Jesus did on Calvary. We're suffering more. We understand rejection more than he did when his own father turned his back on him and he bore the sin of the world, my sin and yours. Well, he doesn't understand what I'm feeling, what I'm going through. He understands. You're right. This preacher can't possibly understand what you're going through necessarily. Unless I've walked a mile in your shoes, I can't. But I know a friend who does. And that's the problem, isn't it? The real problem is we don't know him anymore. The real problem is, is that we look to each other and we judge our lives based on everyone else. We say, well, I'm doing better than he is, or I'm doing better than she is, and, and, and I'm a good Christian, and, and, and nobody seems to be that happy, and not, nobody's really thankful for everything. It doesn't matter if everybody in the world's ungrateful. We have a responsibility individually to be thankful and grateful, because that's what God says we're to do. We owe it to him. I don't owe it to you. I owe it to him. And you don't owe it to me, but you do owe it to him. You can be miserable all you want, and it won't matter one bit when I stand before God. I'll not answer for your misery. I'll do everything I can to be a blessing and preach the truth, and hopefully you'll catch it. But in the end, I only answer for me and my God. This between me and him. He said, no, you don't. You answer for this church. I do, but only in my obedience to him. He told me to preach like this. Guess what? I just did it. I'm off the hook. You get what I'm saying? And you know what? It's the same with you men. You have, you, you've got to take responsibility in your home. You've got to do what you know is right to do. You have a responsibility to God. You say, but I, I feel responsible for my family. Yeah, okay, but first and foremost, it's a responsibility to him. If you will please God, you will please others most of the time. In a man's ways, please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Thankfulness and gratitude are perspective. Paul and Silas thought, you know what? He saved us. He sanctified us. He, he reserved us a home in heaven. Yeah, this is miserable. Yeah, we're, we, we hate being naked, chained up in these chains and everybody gawking at us. And We're going to praise him anyway. Last but not least, thankfulness and gratitude are seen in our service. Jesus was dining at Simon the Pharisee's house. A woman, which is identified in the passage as a sinner, had come into the house. And of course, you know how it goes. There, she washed his feet with her tears. And she dried those tears with her hair. She anoints the feet of Jesus with the ointment from the box. The Pharisees just can't believe this. I mean, they're in awe. They, they're just dumbfounded. How in the world could you permit a sinner, a sinner to do such a thing, a sinner to touch you, a sinner to, to pour ointment, a sinner to do any of that? How could that be possible? He then uses a parable, as he often did, mind you, to instruct the people. Luke chapter 7, verse 41 through 43. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. He said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. 
I mean, one owed 500, the other only 50. He forgave them both. Which one will love him most? Well, I suppose, I like that, I suppose, he says. That he to whom he forgave most, thou hast rightly judged. You got it right. You won the new car. He goes on to say, this woman hasn't stopped pouring over me since we started here today. You haven't even spent a moment. All you've done is complain and criticize her. But she's over here worshiping and honoring me. Wherefore I say unto thee, verse 47, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Well, that's something, isn't it? Do you know what he just said there? Jesus, now, this is not what the preacher says. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, For to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Do you understand what he just said? If you don't feel like God forgave you much, you will not love him much. That's what he just said. If you find someone that doesn't love the Lord that much, it's because they don't feel forgiven that much. It is really simple. Gratitude affects every aspect of our being. It even determines... See, you say... uh, let Let me tell you. If you don't love your husband much, it's because you're not very grateful for him. That's what he said. You, you don't like, you love your wife that much, fellas? It's because you're just not grateful for her. You say, but you, you don't understand what she did. No, I'm just saying, as simple as it, it can be, when you love somebody a lot, it's because you, you're, you're grateful for them. You're thankful. It, this says, I'm forgiven much, therefore I love much. I'm forgiven much. I'm extremely grateful, therefore I love much. That's a, that is basically what we're dealing with. Gratitude, thankfulness, affect our service. It took the same grace to save every one of us in this room. I don't care how much a sinner you were or how little a sinner you were. It took the same amount of grace. It took the same amount of grace to save that 11 or 12 year old girl or boy as it did the most hardened Sinner of 50 years old. Took the same amount of grace. And you know what? That, uh, sadly enough, sometimes we forget how much God did for us and what the price was and how much it cost Him. I'm telling you that you ought to feel forgiven much. And if you feel forgiven much, you will be grateful by all means and you will love much. That's the danger of second generation Christianity, mind you. Second generation Christianity has failed to remember what it costs to get where they're at. Because they've never been through it yet. What I mean by that is, is that, say, I waited till I was 40 to get saved, lived a life of sin. I'm so grateful and thankful to God for what he's done for me. 
I've been forgiven much. I love much. My kids grow up. And they get saved at a young age if they're not careful. They'll somehow forget or not realize the price that it costs God to save their soul. They'll take for granted what every day I thank him for. Well, I'm saved. And that's about what it means. I'm saved. I go, I'm saved. Wow. I'm saved. And they say, yeah, I'm saved. And that's why they're sitting at homes across this area. And you'll say, if you die today, you're 100% sure you're going to? Yeah, I'm saved. Are you in church? Well, no, I don't go to church. I'm saved, though. You mean you're sure, without a doubt, you're on your way to heaven? Yeah. How's that possible? I mean, really, how, how's such a, a glib, such a uh, lackadaisical attitude towards salvation? How can you say, I'm saved, and not say it with any kind of emotion? Maybe because we really don't feel forgiven as much. And therefore, we really don't love as much as we think. Oh, don't tell me I don't love God. Okay, I'll let him tell you that. If you love me, keep my commandments. Our thankfulness is seen in our countenance, our conversation, our perspective, and our service. Let's be thankful people, grateful people. Let's not let a day go by that we don't remember what Christ did for us. And let's not allow things in this world to steal our smiles. You have a smile that God gave you. Use it. Don't let people, don't let things steal it. Father, we come to you. We are thankful, Father, for what you've done for us. Lord, in my own life, there are times that I must admit I don't always show you the gratitude I ought to. And Lord, I'll be honest, I have taken you for granted a number of times in my life. And I war with being consumed with situations, circumstances, even self. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help myself and these tonight. May we be a thankful people. A grateful people. And may we demonstrate gratitude in our life and our outlook. Our countenance, our conversation, our perspective and our service reflect that gratitude. Lord, we've been forgiven much. May we never doubt that. May every youngster in this room really realize what it cost you to save their soul. It cost you so much. Oh Lord, may they feel forgiven of much. And in so doing, they will love you much. Father, we do thank you. We ask for your leadership tonight. Lord, if there be any that are lost, I mean any that have yet to receive Christ, that have not settled once and for all their salvation, that they would do so this evening. Lord, we desperately need you tonight. We'll thank you, Father, as you work in each life, including the believers. And may we, Father, be able to say to you one more time, thank you. I love you. Let's all stand on our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed.